From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, to Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages from the ministry of Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. On today's broadcast, Dr. Cairns will continue this series of studies in the life and earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of the great 19th century English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. This morning's text comes from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. How different will be the state of the believer in heaven from what it is here. Here he is born to toil and suffer weariness, but in the land of the immortal fatigue is never known. Anxious to serve his master, he finds his strength unequal to his zeal, His constant cry is, Help me to serve thee, O my God. If he be thoroughly active, he will have much labor, not too much for his will, but more than enough for his power, so that he will cry out, I am not wearied of the labor, but I am wearied in it. Ah, Christian, the hot day of weariness lasts not forever. The sun is nearing the horizon. It shall rise again with a brighter day than thou hast ever seen, upon a land where they serve God day and night, and yet rest from their labors. Here rest is but partial. There it is perfect. Here the Christian is always unsettled. He feels that he is not yet attained. There all are at rest. They have attained the summit of the mountain. They have ascended to the bosom of their God. Higher they cannot go. Ah, toil-worn laborer, only think when thou shalt rest for ever. Canst thou conceive it? It is a rest eternal, a rest that remaineth. Here my best joys bear mortal on their brow. My fair flowers fade. My dainty cups are drained to dregs. My sweetest birds fall before death's arrows. My most pleasant days are shadowed into nights and the flood-tides of my bliss subside into ebbs of sorrow. But there everything is immortal. The harp abides unrusted, the crown unwithered, the eye undimmed, the voice unfaltering, the heart unwavering, and the immortal being is wholly absorbed in infinite delight. Happy day, happy day, when mortality shall be swallowed up of life, and the eternal Sabbath shall begin. Heaven's gates will open 
Jesus Christ have died, there is eternal life in heaven to begin. And the Lord himself will greet us, oh, what joy will fill that day, and with a smile of the proudest Father, he looks at us to say, Every so often here on Let the Bible Speak, we've mentioned Q&A with Alan Cairns. These are video clips of Dr. Cairns giving biblical answers to a variety of questions. These include, why did Christ have to become a man? Why does a good God allow suffering? Or, what is the unpardonable sin? In all, Dr. Cairns responds to over 50 such concerns— all of these video clips are available on the ltbsradio.com website. In addition, we're happy to be able to provide you, free of charge, a DVD containing all of these video portions, about five hours of guidance from God's Word for problems which face the 21st century Christian. You may have a copy simply by requesting it. Just ask for the DVD, Q&A with Alan Cairns, you may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. You may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. Or if you wish, you may write us at Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, 
Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Again, that's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Here's an excellent way to provide scriptural answers to family and friends regarding the challenging questions facing believers in this day. this edition of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns begins to deal with Christ's encounter with the Pharisees, as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. Although these religious legalists had sought many times to impede the Lord's ministry, he had merely silenced their criticisms with a brief response. On this occasion, he met their accusations of the disciples with a scathing denunciation. By finding fault with the disciples, the Pharisees were tools of Satan, seeking to turn souls away from Christ. The Lord Jesus unmasked their hypocrisy, revealing the source of their sin, wicked, unregenerate hearts. Here were men whose religion was only external, a problem that afflicts many in the church today. Now Dr. Cairns introduces the message called, Christ the Heart Specialist. Matthew chapter 15. The incident that we have just been reading together marked a major turning point in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't read the New Testament without understanding that there had always been a tension between Christ and the Pharisees and scribes. Frequently he had challenged and he had corrected their willful blindness. But the passage before us records something radically different. He goes further than he has ever done before in his public denunciation of the scribes and the Pharisees. With surgical precision and with, I think to put it mildly, stinging honesty, He lays bare the miserable legalism and the blatant hypocrisy of the Pharisees. What we have been reading is in fact a radical exposure of how legalism 
breeds hypocrisy, a hypocrisy that's content to live in open wickedness, in flagrant disobedience to the law of God, just so long as certain man-made external religious forms are observed. Now what led up to this incident was that some of Jerusalem's leading men of religion visited Galilee with the clear intention of dealing with the problems from their point of view that Christ's ministry was occasioning. A modern writer describes them as theological hitmen sent to nail Jesus. And I think that that's a very accurate assessment both of their persons and of their purpose. It's interesting that they did not attack the disciples, though ostensibly their gripe was against what the disciples were doing. But they didn't attack the disciples. They didn't seek to correct the disciples. They weren't even interested in, quotes, getting the disciples right. They were simply using what they saw in the disciples as a platform from which to mount their attack upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always dangerous for me to get off on a rabbit trail so early in the sermon. I'd better make sure I don't go too far along it. But we should learn from that. We should never forget it, that the enemies of God and of his Christ, when they find fault with us, are more interested in using our real or our perceived faults to attack Christ than they are to attack us. After all, if we fall in itself, that means very little to the devil and his kingdom. But if they can use our fall to turn others away from the Savior, to poison the public mind against Christ and his truth, then the kingdom of Satan thinks at least it thinks it has scored a victory. So we should keep, keep this in mind. They used what they saw in the disciples to attack the Savior. Now, what they saw was the disciples. And understand that the disciples were not theological uh, professionals. They were not scholars sitting in ivory towers. They were not theorists spinning fine little theories uh, in corners, that, theories that meant nothing to God or man or devil and would change nothing. That's not the kind of people they were. They were active men. They were busy men. They were often hungry men. We read of the crowd with Jesus being with them all day and all the next day as they have nothing to eat. But what's true of them is true of the disciples. And they had to say, we have no bread. So they were busy men. They were hungry men. They were men pressed for time. And when the food came, they ate the bread that was set before them. Feeling to observe the ritual washing of hands that the Jews had accepted really but comparatively recently in the last two centuries before this. And seeing that, the Pharisees launched their attack. 
Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. In Mark 7, you have the parallel passage. And in verses 3 and 4, we read, The Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, oft eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. They were greatly interested in being clean. In fact, if you take the testimony of the scholars who have paid a lot of attention to the Jewish traditional law, pages of it, in fact, the vast bulk of it, is given over to this whole matter of being clean. The matter of purification. Now God had given laws regarding purification. The hygiene laws given by Moses were known to all. But it's interesting this washing of hands was something that he had uh, spoken particularly of regarding the priests, and he had gone no further. The regulations that the Lord had put down for ritual cleanness, he made clear in commands to Israel. But this vast array of rules that the elders had brought in and that the Pharisees had imposed upon the people were absolutely unknown to Moses and to those who followed Moses and never once mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures. The rabbis had developed this system of ritual washings before they ate after they ate, and some of them wanting to be even more clean, uh, thought that they should carry that to washing even between the courses of a particular meal. They not only washed this often, but they stipulated the manner of washing, the amount of water that had to be used in the washing, how you held your hands, how the water had to run for each ritual. Now, to us, all this may seem somewhat childish, and we may dismiss it as unimportant. But that would be a very grave mistake. Alfred Edersheim, himself Jewish, but a Christian, shows that these rituals were all part of a system of traditionalism developed between two competing rabbinical schools. It seems that those schools agreed in practically nothing. 
It seemed to be a matter of conscience. If one took this line, the other would take another line. You see this coming up, for example, when uh, the Pharisees came and the scribes came asking Jesus about divorce. What they were putting was the view of one school, and they were seeking to have him commit to one or the other, whereas the Lord Jesus clobbered the both of them by giving them the Word of God, which is always a good answer when you're dealing with traditional schools. But anyway, these schools agreed on very little, but they did agree on these rituals of washing. And that's why the Pharisees could come and call this the tradition of the elders. But as they developed that system, they sank not in, only into the frivolous, but into the blasphemous. Because along with this part of the system, there went a whole list of other things that depicted God in the most crass, ignorant, carnal, and unbiblical, unspiritual manner. For example, these traditionalists described God as sitting down day by day to study the law with the chiefest of the rabbis and paying particular attention to the study of the Mishnah, which is the compilation of the oral laws that the Jews had developed. They went further, and they described God spending the last three hours of every evening playing with Leviathan. They claimed that after the fall of Jerusalem, God no longer laughed, but he wept great tears. And by the way, it was the dropping of a tear that would cause an earthquake. Getting down to the matter of purification, they even went so far as to teach that God himself had to submit to being purified by Aaron because he had defiled himself by coming down to Egypt. And God himself had to be purified in a great bath of fire because again he defiled himself when he buried the body of Moses. So all this traditionalism, especially the purification rites, were not merely childish frivolity. They were not unimportant things. And I think what I've said may explain why the Lord Jesus Christ used this occasion when they complained about what to others may have appeared a small thing, about his disciples ignoring the tradition of the elders, Explain why he responded to it as he did. Certainly if these theological hitmen, if they expected the Lord Jesus Christ to cringe, and hitmen usually do, they were sadly disappointed. And if they expected that he would take the easy way out by simply telling the disciples to wash again, they were disappointed. Because rather than those approaches, what he did was to launch upon them a devastating attack 
that brought their tradition and their hypocrisy to the light of the Word of God. We have read that he said, Why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? And he chooses this example. He says, We all know that the law says, Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, every Jew understood, and we should understand, that that includes the uh, physical and financial support of your parents in need. It's not just saying, I honor you. That's part of it. But there is the physical and financial support of parents by their children as it is needed. And as old age comes on, that becomes more and more necessary. Now, there's a big subject and I'd better not get into that rabbit trail, otherwise we'll never get back to the text. For if anything flies in the face of the self-centered, pleasure-crazed philosophy of the day in which we live, when old people are expendable and nursing homes are the first, and by the way, I am not uh, going overboard here. I thank God that there are such places when necessary. But when nursing homes are the first alternative for people who can't be bothered with their parents, if anything flies in the face of that philosophy, it's what Jesus Christ is teaching here. But anyway, he says, you're supposed to give them your money. But what do you do? Now watch it carefully. They developed a tradition that if they took that money and gave it as a gift to the temple, then they were free from their responsibility to their parents. They had given the money after all. The parents hadn't benefited by it. But the same dirty, hypocritical old rascals held on to the money that they would have had to give to the temple had they given their parents what they ought to have given. You talk about hypocrisy. And this was the bunch of liars, hypocrites, thieves that had the audacity to condemn the Son of God because his disciples failed to observe a ritual washing. listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We are here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening, 
and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak.